Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? I'd want to know what bus it was. You think I'm going to tell you that? Yes. <laughs> Very good. There are rules, Jack, and I want you to get this right. No one goes off the bus. You try to take any passengers off the bus, I will detonate it. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Harry, he's alive! What? The bomber! He's back! Today, as part of a listener request, we'll be discussing Speed. Starring Keanu Reeves. It's a game. If he gets the money, he wins. If the bus blows up, he wins. What if you win? Then tomorrow we'll play another one. Sandra Bullock. Well, I should probably tell you that I'm taking the bus because I have my driver's license revoked. What for? Speeding. Jeff Daniels. The guy has no ammo. A bomber falls in love with one kind of bomb and they're very monogamous. This guy uses C4, dynamite, different trigger every time and now he throws in this watch. Joe Morton. Bombers also wired the hatch to trigger the bomb, which seats him in the crazy but not stupid section. And Dennis Hopper. No, poor people are crazy, Jack. I'm eccentric. Directed by Jan de Bont. Everybody hold on to your seats or whatever you can. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Interactive podcasting listeners, wave of the future. It's Gally in Glasgow. The women of a madman. It's definitely in London. There's gum on my seat. Ugh. Gum. It's Patrick in London. I need a bib. It's Matt. In South Korea. Oh dear. Welcome back, gang, and welcome back, listeners. Well, we got all the balls in the world right here, man. <laughs> That's right. Today, we are discussing Yanderbont's directorial debut, Speed from 1994. And I'd like to thank another listener, Matthew Pinder, for emailing us with this request. He mentioned, uh, team, how uh, we kept referring to Speed in other episodes. And he just thought, well, why don't you guys actually just discuss speed? So here we are. Also, what has happened in between um, the last episode and this is I've been called out. I have been named and shamed as somebody who antagonizes the listener base. So therefore, we are doing another listener request. So I apologize if the schedule has been slightly rejigged, but I'm very much on the redemption tour. So here we are. What? You've been called out. Gally's pandering because he was because he was really rude last time. <laughs> Gally, you've got to leave these guys alone. What are you doing? My attempts at being funny, clearly. Um, tone, tone cannot be discerned on an audio podcast. Take the Twitter logins off him. You're very much the Kanye of the group, aren't you? I've missed all this. I'm sorry. What? I I need to catch up more. Obviously, James, you know who you are. You have my you have my apologies. We've made up. It's all good. So there we are. Um, I know, I know. Leave I know. poor James but, alone. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> a bit like in speed, let's move on. So, team, I will start with uh with you, Matt. First experiences with speed? Uh this was will have been a VHS rental around ninety-five. Uh I I remember it being a word of mouth film. Other people at school saw it before me and were talking about it. I also like associate 
speed with me trying to be like Jack Traven. I, I've always like worn cheap Casio watches because of him. <laughs> and uh, I remember I got a very short haircut when I was around this time, partly inspired by Kevin Costner's bodyguard haircut and partly <laughs> inspired by Gary Barlow in the Back for Good video, which was very <laughs> unusual. Uh, and and I didn't quite go as short, but I, I remember like haircuts in the 90s were like a big deal with actors. Um, I'd love to do the bodyguard soon. So I was doing a bit of research on that. And the Costner haircut was a, a big deal. Um, I've rewatched it probably every few years. Um, I, I was really happy when, when Quentin Tarantino started to speak out about it and what a great action film he thought it was. Because before that, I don't remember anyone really critically praising it. Um, I think, um, yeah, but b- before I w- rewatched it, I considered it maybe top five action films ever. And that has changed a, a little, but, um, yeah, th- this was, um, an interesting one. Uh, I, it, it's a, the kind of film I think that was made like for, for the high concept, but, um, the very simple characters are, are broadly drawn, but I always thought they were they were quite effective back the first few times I watched it. I enjoy the trio of uh, the the three leads. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of, I've re- revisited it a few times, but this was a particularly interesting one. I'll go to uh, ooh, Patrick next. Oh. How about you, Patrick? Uh, it dawned on me this week. I remember when I, I believe the first time I watched it, I don't, I don't know whether it was a VHS rental or if it, I think, I suspect it was on TV. But I, the first time I saw this, I didn't, I watched it, uh, not having seen the elevator scene. So I joined it, oh. like, from the bus onwards. Um, yeah, cause I, I remember think, like, remember watching it the second time thinking, oh my god, I missed loads. This is unreal. Um, I remember my uncle, like, saying, oh, don't go on an elevator. Oh, be careful. Like, <laughs> after he saw this film and making a joke out or being in an elevator in Brighton at some point, like, and just, uh, with a load of strangers, he just said out loud, have you, uh, have you seen Speed? <laughs> just, just try and joke around. I remember, I remember, um, this is definitely something the cool kids at, f- at school watched before I did. And as all joking about Sandra Bullock's surname, um, I'll say it. Sandra, Sandra Bollock. Yeah, there you go. Poor Sandra. Um, is this a second film on the podcast? Sandra yeah, there's a, there's a few, um, there's a few recurring actors, yeah. uh, and also those behind the scenes for, yeah. for us uh, mm. in this one. Yeah. I think it's a Jeff Daniels first time, but isn't, but, um, mm, debut. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I, I do remember it. I remember, uh, thinking it was a fucking great film when I was younger, like really action packed. I, I think the high concept, simple plot really worked for that for me when I was younger. Um, I don't, I don't actually remember the last time I saw it. I think it's been a few years actually until this week and watched it a couple of times ready for today. But how about you, Devlin? Uh, I've never seen it. What? Nice bollocks. I've seen it loads. That was revealing how angry we all got. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The video rental probably 1995. And then from then on, it was probably on rotation on Sky Cinema or Sky Movies as it was back then, Sky Movies 1 or 2. It would have been on one of those channels. And Terrestrial Telly 2 showed it a lot. Yeah. Uh, once it came off the sky, it was uh, an ITV rotation, ITV2 rotation. 
um Cut to ribbons as well on ITV. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing a version where uh, I think the first time I ever saw it, I don't see the screwdriver in the head till I watched it when I was an adult, and that I was like, "Whoa!" Didn't remember. It's like seeing a completely different film when you actually watch it on. You know, I I don't think I ever owned this. I don't think I owned the video, so it would have been whatever was on TV. But um, I actually watched it uh, prior to this. I only watched it this summer. it's quite telling that it's one of those films that just popped up on the, again, the sky cinema rotation. I was scrolling through. I didn't really know what else to watch. And it's like, fucking a right. I'll watch speed out of pizza. Where, where did you pick it up? Did, did you get it right from the beginning? Uh, yeah. So I, I, down- when you rewatched it on, screen. I downloaded it from the, from the sky cinema. And ah, then, okay. uh, um, but yeah. And much as, as like you were saying, Patrick, the early, early going in the film, less familiar than the rest of it because you get used to dropping into these things 20 30 40 minutes down the line um how about you gally yeah similar to uh similar to yourself devlin uh this was definitely a sky rotation for me that's where i would have seen it first um i'd already mentioned my um i can't call it a love affair because i don't think it was reciprocated but clearly i was uh (laughs) madly in love with uh with sandra bullock from demolition man of which i mentioned in that episode sandra Um, bullock Indeed, indeed. Even uh, I, you know, I said in that episode, and my dad thought that was hilarious. So again, <laughs> you can see where my poor sense of humour also comes from it is inherited. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I this was uh, similar to you, Matt. I would have probably, had I not uh, come into this for the podcast, probably just said, yeah, this is going to be one of the top ten action films in my in my list. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where we land after we go into it in kind of great depth, because that's one of the things about Speed is that I've always met it at face value and never really thought too much about it. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. But this is uh, I'm really happy that this has kind of come as a listener request. I tell you what, then, Patrick, uh, before we all jump aboard, why don't you remind us and the listeners of the plot? For speed. After LA SWAT officers Hotshot Jack Travin and Harry Temple thwart disgruntled ex-police bomb squad officer with fingers numbering nine in his elevator bomb ransom. The next morning, the bomber blows up a bus in front of Jack and rings him on a payphone, explaining there's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What will Jack do? What will Jack do? Is the bomber going to let him know what bus it is? Well, yes, but there are rules. No one gets off the bus. If he doesn't get his 3.7 million ransom money by 11 o'clock, the gold watch timer will blow. Jack tracks down the 2525 bus and rides it around LA, just keeping it above 50 miles an hour with Wildcat, temporary driver Annie, replacing Sam the driver, who got shot in the confusion by a worried passenger. Flying off the freeway gaps, smashing into prams full of cams and losing a passenger who tried to exit early doesn't slow any and Jack down as they enter the unobstructed airport space and drive around, keeping it above 50 miles an hour. Harry thinks he's found this scumbag, but his luck has run out. While Jack discovers the bomber's dashboard camera has been watching them the whole time and loops the footage, fooling the bomber and making their escape just in time as the gas runs out. But the bomber isn't done. Sneakily collecting his ransom money, using Annie as a decoy and hostage, boarding the subway train, shooting out the brakes. Does Jack shoot the hostage or jump the vehicle again? Can he beat the bomber? Well, he is taller. 
Oh, very <laughs> nice little tease there, Patrick. I like that. I tried to, I tried to up the pace there because she said to keep it in, uh, in line with the film, which, um, doesn't usually work for story time. Oh, we were, we were toying with the idea of just doing the, the infamous now, I would say, for anyone who's ever been to film school, kind of elevator pitch for speed because that's really about as much research I'd ever, you know, prior to the episode that I really knew about speed was this is the film that I guess specs, spec scripts. And if you're going to sell your movie, you sell it like speed, say it in a line. And if you, you can understand the movie in one line, you're going to get green lit. Did you see that the writer talked about um, misremembering runaway train? I think his dad said to him, uh, like recounted this, this, uh, concept for the film Runaway Train, but in his version of it, there was a bomb on the train and he thought, oh, we'll just put it on a bus. But there isn't actually a bomb in Runaway Train. So it turned out to be more original than, than even the, the, the original writer thought. Okay. Again, I, I do find it interesting. The, the many iterations of this movie, uh, you know, we don't normally go into, into these kind of depths of, you know, what could have been alternate casting, alternate versions. But this movie mm. sounded like it didn't really have a home until pretty much Yanderbon found it. I, I listened to an interview with um, with the director, Yanderbon, and he was saying how he he found the script in Paramount because he thought he, he had been working with Verhoeven and McTiernan and he wanted to make his move into directing. And they had advised him that you've got your first film's got to be a hit. So he was he was looking for something that he could he felt like he could do something with, and Paramount didn't want it because they were like, well, why would anyone want to watch a movie where it's a bunch of people stuck on a bus for two hours? And he was like, you cannot see the potential of this. But there were so many different versions, and then I think the Fox picked it up, and Fox obviously of diehard fame, um, and there were you know, and all of a sudden we've got a movie going, you know, we've got a stew going on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've written that it's kind of like a rowdy child of Die Hard, but um, that's how I always thought of it. It's kind of a, people say Die Hard on a bus, don't they? That's mm. the kind of the thing that they say. But it's but they now say rewatching it. It's not quite speed that. on a boat or it, oh, it's speed on a train. That, that, yeah, just just right. does this move yeah. that dial because under siege and under siege <laughs> two, we could I think we could safely say is Die Hard on a train, Die Hard on a on a ship. I I think it's a bit. For a film that is very simple, I think Die Out on a Bus is probably the wrong... I don't know if that's correct. It doesn't... It doesn't... It's not as capsule as as possibly people remember it, or even that it probably would have seemed in its original iteration. Like, it, it, it does shunt around a lot, and it's it's actually constructed of a lot more uh, set pieces. You know, Die Hard is essentially confined to the Nakatomi Plaza, whereas this one, um, obviously being on a moving object you get to see more of the city even though they spend a lot of time making sure that they put you into unfinished roads and I, I already saw the airport yeah it's 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 less of a little capsule piece it's less of a uh a spam in a can as you like to say galley <laughs> you're not on the can for as long as you think you are here's my little kind of litmus test uh first time ever in doing the podcast that i managed to rope in the in-law uh so danielle's mum watched it with with us as well last night and when the movie started she went is this speed she had no recollection of the first 25 yeah. minutes on uh, the album. Said you, i think um the elevator gets it's, it's funny well, that this is an elevator pitch film and we start with an elevator pitch but um 
you can forget. Like, how long? Who's got the stopwatch out? How yeah. long do we get on the bus? So we don't see a bus until like thirty-five minutes, maybe more. Oh, wow. yeah. not even in the background somewhere. No? There are no buses. No, yeah, uh, no, not the, even the a first... little bit of leg. Get out of there. <laughs> but, but unlike uh, Die Hard, you know, when it didn't kick off for what, I think it was like 25 minutes or something, uh, we, we start pretty quickly and strong here with, uh, with Hopper, you know, stabbing someone in the head, blowing up elevator, and there's a real tense escape there. Like it, it really gets into it straight away, right? 25 well, the other, minutes, you see the 25 minutes. Oh, there we go. Wow. Well, there, it was still 25 minutes. And the other difference as well to Die Hard is those 25 minutes before we get to the bus, is not necessarily um, character building or world building. It is no. action, and then character is woven within. Yeah, very, yeah. very, very economically as well. It, and I would suggest super effective because I know pretty much all the key players, minus uh, those that are going to enter the bus in that first twenty-five minute elevator mm-hmm. section, by just little, well. Dennis Hopper. It's nothing. It's nothing personal. <laughs> uh, he, he does stab someone in the ear, which yeah. feels personal. That meeting is a bit ham and cheese, though, isn't it? Where, where they, you first meet all the the people who are going into the lift, and they go, "Oh, I got to get those reports done in time," or "Oh, congratulations." It's all very uh, short-handed. Well, you know what is interesting, Devlin, uh, Danielle, and a mum when I was watching it said they didn't know who Sandra Bullock was when they first saw this film in the mid nineties, but they'd heard of this, you know. Sandra Bullock uh, actor that it's gonna you know really is somebody to watch out for. They thought the blonde woman who gives the fuck me eyes to the the head honcho. They thought that was Sandra Bullock until Sandra Bullock is introduced because that blonde woman that they, they have got something going on. It is not entirely professional uh, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's not subtle either. It's very very clear. Did you notice that he got a bit of an upskirt on her? Do you think that's a Verhoeven influence on his No, I think yeah. it feels a bit natural. It feels very natural. There's a couple of them. Uh, there's some stuff on the bus <laughs> with Sandra that's quite close. What's, what's that, what's that, um, Partridge Bondathon thing? What's that? What's that? Better bush too late. Um, <laughs> we watched it last night and it was so visible that Kiara was like, Oh, the thing that I love about the, the opening of this movie is I love movies despite the font being a little bit cheap. On speed, that is cheap. Um, I mean, it's not quite species level. It's a bit word art, isn't it? Yeah, it's not quite species, but it's close. But I love the fact that the film integrates a physical shot as the kind of yeah. titles. It goes on for yeah. ages. Yeah. <laughs> like Halloween opening. <laughs> it works backwards. Like once we're looking at the depths of, of where these people, this cavernous kind of depths of where they would fall to without really knowing what's happening. And then when we meet them, do we consider the the title sequence or do we is it this is it a second watch thing the next time we see the movie we appreciate the opening credits more perhaps because we understand what's about to happen Mm. but it's clever either way it's layered continuing with the elevator as i mentioned the characters every bit of dialogue feels like it's informing us about their relationship Mm. especially jack and harry you know, I don't know if I ask pop quizzes when I'm, um, in, you know, looking at a bomb, but the fact that they ask it, you understand immediately which archetype they're playing off. Keanu feels like a bit of a maverick Top mm-hmm. Gun type, but as the movie goes on, he really isn't that at all. Um, and he, he, he kind of subverts that, that expectation. He's growing a brain. And Harry, 
instead of feeling like, I think he's supposed to be his boss, but he doesn't feel like he's his boss. I, I feel like, like he's more just the senior because that's why he gives him the pop quiz. You know, it's like, what do you do? And it, it, I like the loaded dialogue. I like where it leads us. You know, I, I shoot the hostage. All of that is, it's kind of loaded. Your luck will run out. I think it's quite economic dialogue at the start and it, it's, it's, it's like good. classic partner dynamics in, yeah. in you know the slightly mismatched buddy cop comedy where you've got the the young you know the but it works partner. right like Similar in, in, i think there are really yeah. i understand how their decisions are made i buy into how uh how good like officers they are i think from a design point of view as well like, i really like the aesthetic of the what they're wearing the throat mics the, the gear that they're wearing keanu comes in he's got that the matt reeve short haircut and he's chewing gum you know like this guy means business and he's it feels like an action star yeah all right pop quiz Airport, gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're a hundred feet away. Jack. Shoot the hostage. What? Take her out of the equation. Go for the good wound and he can't get to the plane with her. Clear shot. You're deeply nuts, you know that? Shoot the hostage. <laughs> One of my favorite things is the introduction, like the way um, they're, they're introduced with a flying car. Yeah. I, I think there's a flying car and then it lands and then it cuts to a 360. Oh, that car's cam. written off, man. Oh, yeah. We've, we've talked about introducing your characters, but it also it sets the tone because I'd... We're going to get into it far more detail, I think, when we get to the bomb and, and, and the bus, but... I think that's DeBont basically saying, listen, that we're going to try and make this realistic, but we are super heightened because there's no way you introduce that flying car <laughs> as your opening shot. It's very Starsky and Hutch, isn't it? Yeah. But it sets the tone there like, okay, this is, we're here for a fun ride. We are not um, going to do the negotiator. And look where, look where like uh, the rock goes when uh, Nicolas Cage is driving over the hills and stuff like that. This, this was a thing, but as an introduction <laughs> and they get out just like they get out of the car nonchalant like the car's fine it's as simple as his gum yeah, chewing yeah. too we know everything about him because yeah. he's chewing gum and it's just and he's a bit snarky uh with the whole thing uh the basement is the thing that's going to stop the lift if it falls down you know he's yeah they're little interactions throughout the that first 20 minutes because in, again interestingly mm. after that first set piece they're not together for the remainder of the film, but they still feel like a, it still feels like a buddy cop. You know, they're, they're basically doing it in. Well, they're in the bar together. Yeah. Oh, they're in the bar, but you know, he's, Harry's pissed up at that point. It, it's John McClane and Al after that point. They're on the radio to, to each other. I didn't other. make that connection. Very good. Yeah. yeah. There was a couple of other things. There was like, um, the Pacific Courier, um, is written on the plane, which is what's on the terrorist truck in Die Hard. Uh, apparently. Apparently, McTiernan turned it down because it was too diehard. He passed on it. Um, there was, yeah, there's a couple of other things. I felt initially that they'd sacrificed a lot of character stuff in order to just keep the film moving in these three action acts. But I agree with you, Gally. I don't feel like I need to know any more about any of these particular characters in order to enjoy the film. Tell me what you know about Jack. Not a great deal. Yeah, Honestly, right. not a great deal. But nor do you know a great deal about Howard Payne. You've got a rough idea about where mm -hmm. his motivation lies. But literally, it's just money. Well, I was a total dummy. It, it's obvious that he was a bomb disposal guy that got his hand blown up. 
in the line of duty, probably was forced to retire. He got a shit gold watch that was cheap. And now he's now he's pissed off about it, so he's going to start but, but bombing. But you do not need to know anything buses. more than Jack is actually quite a courteous. I mean, I love how he's. I think that's one of the things that endears me to him that separates him from a Tom Cruise maverick is the fact that he calls people mom and sir and yeah. is genuinely quite polite. And then every now and again, yeah, very every piano. now and again, he goes a little bit Theodore. You know, we're just two dudes hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> What's his character name? <laughs> Point Break. I can't remember. Johnny, uh, Johnny Utah. Utah. Johnny Utah. One, of, one, of, one of the great, great names, Johnny Utah. The other bit he does as well is he does slip into full Keanu when he's like, just look whipped. Who speaks yeah. that way other than Keanu Reeves? You know, but that's good. Have you know? Have you noticed he's got massive finger and thumbnails on the phone? I don't know why I noticed this, but I'm like, <laughs> he's got big old hands. That's my favorite. Um, one of my favorite shots actually beside the flying car. The, uh, you know, when the first bus explodes, there's a 360 shot. Uh, and it's an introduction to like, we, we've, he's just been into the cafe to get his coffee and he's hung over and we still don't know anything about him. And we, but we expect that there's a segment of the film here where we'll get to know who this guy is before something else happens. So DeBont uses this sort of steady cam. He does it maybe two or three times in the film that goes around. So we're we're paying attention to Keanu and we're not ready for that bus to blow up in the background. Is it a Texas really switch? Taken is aback it? by it. I wonder. If, I can't remember. No, I think it's him, isn't it? it uh, you no, mean the like, they, like they, I'm they thinking of no, the, this, this is the, the bus is when the first and then there's another bus in the background. I've got to watch the shot again. Uh, I, I, I didn't notice if it did, but I thought it was just yeah, very well it's, choreographed it's cool. and uh, as like as a wanna. And then there's another great shot where the phone starts ringing, and in the the metallic reflection is just flames. So like, I'm gonna pick up this phone, and it's gonna you know drag us all into this next big action thing. He's a bit less dopey than he is in uh, in Point Break. Now, obviously, Point Break again, he's perfect for the exact thing that he's in. But I guess, like you say, the uh, uh, he seems a little more um, with it, and I do love his his excessive politeness with members of the public. It's great. Someone said "airhead to leading man" was the quote in one of the interviews, and I don't think that's quite true. I mean, he was Bill in 1989, and then my own private Idaho. He was a male prostitute uh, way back. Like I think his second film, he did River's Edge with Dennis Hopper, but he didn't have any scenes with him. Uh, he's got. Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. And then I, I felt like he was maybe trying to cover a lot of bases um, around this time. Because 93, there's Little Buddha and even Cowboys Get the Blues and Much Ado About Nothing. So I feel like he's doing all these different kinds of films because he's trying to find his footing. It's not quite Johnny Depp standards of weirdness, but he is being considerate with his with his choices. But he's after this, it's a stuff. bit... Well, Johnny Mnemonic hit and miss until The Matrix, right? Yeah, I've still never seen Johnny Mnemonic. I don't know what it's about. I don't, I've never been drawn to it at all. Uh, it's he like did speed. a few duds, Matt. I mean, Chain Reaction was another dreadful action movie. But we talked about it when we did uh, Point Break. You know, I don't think he's got more lives than cats. He's had so many renaissances as Keanu. But in a, in a way, that just is testament to his likability on screen and how easy he is to just be an avatar for the audience because that's what i that's what it feels like to me he feels like a kind of you'd say bog standard action hero there isn't a great deal of uh sort of depth or backstory to his character but everything that's going around him feels extraordinary we kind of need someone a little bit like level to keep us keep us in in the movie i also think 
it, it's his looks yeah. too. He, he he's, look, he's a good right looking chap, in, and these things, he's a handsome guy. He's yeah, and he doesn't have to be the greatest actor. It's uh, and and almost uh, I I considered him in the Costner category as well as where we can put onto him ourselves. He's kind of a blank canvas at times, and he doesn't do too much. But he, he probably does more than Costner, to be fair. But um, I'm not sure how well he does. I've got it on in the background here, and it's just the moment where he steps off the bus onto the moving car. And it's just, I don't know, there's something really cool about Very cool. him in this film. And Effortless, seems, isn't it, that? I saw in the making of, like, they were praising him for how many stunts he did of his own, and he's quite physical and capable. And I just think he really uh exudes that in this film i thought he did a really great job when he when he loses his shit when he finds out that harry's dead i'd i'd i guess um because of the the dracula experience which is in all fairness to him (laughs) he was marooned there it was a poor choice um so he does have a reputation as not especially being a good performer which is completely unfair i think uh, and I, I thought that was a that's a, a really effective scene. He sells everything so well. Well, it's the bit where he says as well, Devlin. Uh, uh, and again, we we would not expect this of an action hero. He says we're all going to die. That's where she soothes him, though. She steps in there, and that's a nice moment between them because he has a tantrum. It's it's the the pinpoint accuracy of the the lowest ebb of the second act as well. He says mm. we're all going to die, and he turns to the bus, which is a shot you see yeah. so many times. It's a bus full of people looking back at him and he has literally nothing to say. quite a few mvps in my opinion in this movie so maybe maybe we'll just say it's a collective mvp um cast but i think everybody including all the day players and i wrote it in my notes like what is the what is the alchemy that makes speed kind of elevate above just because this this kind of movie has now been done multiple times um or, or variations of but for whatever reason i care about about the bus I care about Keanu. I care about Annie. They feel like they're in love with such very, very, even though, I mean, it's hokey, um, but it feels like there is a genuine chemistry there and they barely really interact apart from the odd line. So it's just testament to them. Can I tell you when they have their first actual conversation? It's 51 minutes into the film. <laughs> that is impressive. When, when they, once they get onto the abandoned road, cause everything up to then has just been, um, disaster after disaster with, you know, uh, uh, carnage and chaos all around them. It's the first point at which they actually settle into the situation is that we are on this bus. And that, uh, it, is this where she says that I'm not free to drive? It's, um, tomorrow yeah, or it's, next it's week the kind or of whatever, sweet then... kind of interactions between them where, where he finally kind of stops to turn to her and say are you yeah. okay and she actually tells him that her name is annie not ma'am it's interesting that yanderbont is the first time director in this but 
has got really good performances out of everyone. Well, I listened to an interview with him and he talked about how in the Netherlands, and I don't know if this happens now with, with filmmakers, but in the Netherlands, you're trained in every single department and then you kind of pick your, you pick your lane. So he always wanted to be a cameraman. Uh, that was what he always wanted to do, but he learned how to do sound, learned how to do editing. And he also did acting. Uh, he went to like a right. kind of acting school to do acting. And there is when he said he really appreciated how difficult it is to walk from one mark to another mark without it looking really unnatural on camera. So he's always understood that acting is very, very difficult. And one of the things he, he he's taken from all of his experiences is that you can't be authenticity. So in speed, that's why he was so keen to get everyone involved in the stunts. It was not some kind of like one-upmanship, Tom Cruise style. It was, you cannot get a reaction of someone smashing into a car on a bus. It just won't look real unless they're in the bus and it's smashing a car. So that was his kind of MO the whole time. Mm. And he talked about how there was a scene where Keanu's jumping onto the bus. He was saying how Keanu didn't want to do the stunt because he was like, that looks pretty damn dangerous. So DeBont just said, well, if I do it, mm. will you do it? And so that's <laughs> it. So that's what he did. Ah, the old Kevin Reynolds sliding down the uh, thing in so, Waterworld. Uh, so DeBont did the jump. Yeah. Um he, he fucked it up the first time, but Keanu wasn't on set. So he was like, thank God. And then the second time he did it, Keanu watched it and was like, okay, I'll do the stunt. But you were talking earlier off air about the, the rough edges that he likes to include on his films, Galley, and how films in his eyes shouldn't be perfect pictures. He mentioned, because, you know, normally with cinematographers, you would expect them to probably want everything to be absolutely, you know, perfect. A bit, you know, Ridley Scott-esque. Bond in the interviews, like... I don't like films that look too beautiful because it doesn't feel real if you're in a paint. He basically said that it doesn't feel like it's the real world if you're in a painting. So he looks for those little imperfections and he embraces them, which is again, great. And he uses handheld camera, which again means that you lose a little bit of control when you go and handheld anyway. And that we talked on the basic instinct podcast about how um, I mentioned Paul Verhoeven's commentary and how he deferred to Jan de Bont a lot on, on how the film was made. So in some of his interviews, de Bont talked about directing the actors. At times he actually stepped in and said, could you do that again? Or I like it when you do that. Or can you turn this way a bit more? And, and some directors would not appreciate it at all, but he would, it wouldn't stop him from doing it. He worked with McTiernan on Die Hard and Hunt for Red October, Ridley Scott on Black Rain, Richard Donner, <laughs> Lethal Weapon 3, and Robert Zemeckis, Jewel of the Nile. So these are some of the preeminent directors. So that, some of but that's going to rub off. then he made Speed 2. Yeah, that was a contractual thing. Um, he had to come back, apparently, but Keanu didn't. So he was lumbered with uh, not a very good script and Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick, so who feels a bit sick throughout the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what you want from your action <laughs> hero. We may as well tackle the, the Speed 2... Um, cruise control um <laughs> fundamentally very very difficult to 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 give off the illusion of speed and danger when on an open open water on just <laughs> very very difficult that was keanu's thing it's what he said it in an well, interview he's absolutely right TV, so like, like just didn't I, get it I remember I, a couple yeah. of weeks ago i watched um my uh 
Michael Mann's Miami Vice, which, you know, future episode, I love that movie, for all of its flaws. And even he struggles in those ultra-fast boats to make it look like it's super fast because you're on an open water, you've got no point of reference. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a bus, flying past right. stuff, whizzing past yeah. stuff, on a whizzing boat, by. you've yeah. just got a little bit of water, which, you know, you could get that by jumping in a puddle. <laughs> it's like the Howard Hughes thing when in the sky or the airplanes. He said they were waiting for one of the films he made for clouds. And he had these planes just standing by for fucking weeks until they got clouds as that point of reference you talk about. Well, exactly. In space, Star Wars, like you need a blue hue in order to (laughs) something to follow to be like, oh, that's it. Right. We're going really fast. Okay. Well, there's also there's no speedometer on a cruise ship as far as I'm aware. Oh, I noted that down as a, a really effective um, technique. In this film, all, all they have to do is cut to the speedometer. And, and it tells you precisely like where we are. And, and every time it ramps up tension or tells you, phew, everything is, is okay. So they, he's always got that to cut to. Interesting one with Debon. Again, um, kind of ended real quick for him. And I didn't even realize that his last movie, I thought his last movie was The Haunting. You guys ever see that? Mm. It's, dra- it's, it's really it's really bad. I went to the cinemas. Got with Neeson, wasn't it? Before Brian Mills. Um, I think it's one of those, it's one of those things where he makes clearly very expensive movies. So you're going to have to stake a lot on a DeBont film. And two, I just wonder, and this is not to knock him, but it seems like he just wasn't able to elevate kind of middling material. Like the haunting is dreadful, but it's even worse because it's a 120 odd million horror movie is awful and the last film he did was the tomb raider 2 uh with angelina jolie which to my mind that film doesn't exist so he just kind of just left hollywood very very quickly i i heard that he didn't like the interference he couldn't bear the interference but there's some real missteps there to blame on on studio interference alone so I don't know if he just got lucky with his first two he's a talented guy but those, those first two choices were excellent for him really in Hollywood would have been known as an expert cinematographer. Did he have less rope to deal with? So he makes, he makes speed, makes an absolute shit ton of money, makes Twister, definitely the best tornado movie ever made. <laughs> I can safely say that. And then he has two back-to-back stinkers and that's pretty much him done. Mm. I think the lie, I think the raw injury yeah. brought up to him, Dev. <laughs> well, that's what we were saying that, you know, like, uh, uh, great artists can be forged in like the worst of circumstances. <laughs> and clearly, you know, nothing's going to phase you after you've had your fucking scalp ripped off by an actual lion in front of Melanie Griffith. That's <laughs> yeah, in front of Melanie. <laughs> but, um, His hair still looks good though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, in terms of cinematographer yeah. director pipeline, I can only really think of Barry Sonnenfeld as well, somebody Wally who went Fister did a... um, Transcendence, Transcendence. Yes. the worst Lawnmower Man sequel oh, I would say I mean, yeah that was, and that was, <laughs> was that was so flat and kind of yeah it does all the things that Nolan does and then forgot to make it any in any way fun it's an awful yeah. film really bad some yeah I mean Sonnenfeld was, was saying that he was under real pressure when he was doing um The Addams Family uh, and from what I hear, he was also in his own mind, despite the fact that he really wanted to do it. He felt uniquely unsuited to directing. He said he used to get like really bad anxiety attacks and vomit on set a lot. Um, again, not a problem that's going to phase uh, a slightly more self-confident Yann Debon, especially now that I know that um, he's had to do like acting training. And I think that makes a big difference because clearly Debon has a, a, a broader perspective on 
the difficulties of performance, whereas most cinematographers maybe just, they don't have to get involved in the nuts and bolts of how to construct a scene with an emotional through line that makes sense to an actor. So maybe it would be like a Wally Fister film, like that film comes off as really cold, like Transcendence has very little interaction between the characters. Did Wally Fister look at the actors and think, well, you are props, so I'm going to move you around the frame mm. as props. But then again, Ridley Scott does that, and he's one of the best that ever did it. So That's true. With yeah. a good script. With a good script. Yeah. yeah. Let's get ourselves on the bus, eh? And also let's talk about 90s trope of the mad bomber how now it would be tackled so very very differently but this film is is executed with like a, a sprinkle of fun and mischief whereas now like domestic terrorism is like pretty much our number one threat uh certainly in the us and in and in, in the uk whereas this like hopper is having a whale of a time and we're <laughs> kind of having fun with him especially when he's like interactive tv jack hey way with the future drink my dr pepper thank you very much <laughs> mctinnan on, on Die Hard saying that like terrorists are a bummer i don't want to see them on screen and this is kind of the the flip side to that but yeah the first thing that came to mind for me was the oklahoma bombing but that was the year after but i've just thought now i've googled it the the trade center was bombed in 93 so that oh, was the okay, uh, yeah. year before so that was a, another domestic bombing i i guess it was a truck bomb i think you had the unabomber as well who by this point was you know a, a real trope uh, um, mm. I think, Gally, we were talking about this a couple of days ago where we were trying to determine whether this was in the zeitgeist or whether it is a bit ahead. And I think it probably was a bit ahead of the zeitgeist. That way it makes it less scary. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like a, a few years down the line, especially once you hit, you know, 2001, that's... Yeah, it's done. It's not, you can't not, do this movie for a long, long time. It's not fun anymore, yeah. No. Well, I was looking at the list, and um, they're not quite all mad bombers, but they're all domestic terrorist movies. So you've got Under Siege, so you've got Boosie and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones comes back again, this time Irish. If you've seen Blown Away, which is <laughs> essentially the speed ripoff. How's his accent on the scale of uh, uh, Brad Pitt in The Devil's Own? That's good at Tom Cruise in Far and Away. Far and Away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should have never left Tipperary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on a scale of one to you 2 it's pretty bad. It's pretty high up there. How's Bono? <laughs> Sorry, that was the edge. The edge, the edge is, is for you. Edge is How is Adam Clayton? Adam Clayton <laughs> is fine. How's uh, how's the edge? The edge is fine. How's Adam Clayton? Adam Clayton is fine. How's um the drummer? The drummer is fine. When did you last see the gang? I saw them last Thursday at a pop concert. Uh, who were playing? We were. Right. Didn't see that advertised. You should sack your PR people. We have. Good. How long you live in house? Since the eighties. Linkington Hall was built by Sir Henry Hall. <laughs> the Jacobean House is built on the side of a late medieval predecessor. He is not Bono. He's rubbish. He is, isn't he? Len, are those your mother's cataract glasses? <laughs> You could not do speed now the way that DeBont and the, the, the screenwriters, uh, and we'll talk about some of the screenwriting, uh, the, the history because Hopper is, he's just having so much fun. And you can see why in Waterworld they're like, just get Dennis Hopper because he, do, he barely needs to be in the movie, but when he is, he lights it up and he'll just, it's almost like a car, like a cartoon Saturday afternoon villain. H had he been a bad guy yeah. on screen before this? 
Well, Blue Velvet is the infamous one, yeah. But obviously it's in a far more deeper, disturbing role. But it's funny how that kind of thing can stay with you as, ah, so you're a villain. Despite previously, I would have just thought of him as a bit of a zany hipster and, mm. and think of him in Apocalypse Now and mm. the fact that he's a great director in yeah. his own right and running around in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is it two when he's like the, the crazy sheriff? Well, this was probably the first film I ever saw him in going off the year and I, I do think the the don't fuck with daddy is a total nod to blue velvet and and it's a shorthand that he it's a very broad stroke of a, of a villain it, it's uh you know motivated by revenge and greed um but he he does it really well and it's a it's it's established very quickly and i i just go with it I was thinking probably the first film I saw him in was uh, Super Mario Brothers. From oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah. But I think that was the first, like, you know, just it's a, it's a cash gig villain that he did. And I think they are, like, Blue Velvet was was a revelation, but it's an art house film. But it was an art house film seen by a lot of people. And then he went off to do a, a few directorial projects in a row, which n- none of them really panned out super well financially. So he had to just go back to the well and start cash and checks but at least dude looks like he's having fun cash and checks you said um we can't you, you can't do it like this now is that because you think like now he'd have to round out his character more and give more of the backstory and more of a motive or is i think the the, i know I, I think the consequences would need to be like properly felt we feel them but in this movie and it's one of the one of the film's great tricks we do not dwell on anything Harry Temple gets blown up. About 30 seconds later, there's a new solution that Jack's going to follow. So the lowest ebb is... is Yeah, and when he's on the phone, he's like, yeah, I heard about Harry. And yeah, like... when, when we do not dwell on it. When Sparkle Motion uh, blows up, <laughs> literally uh, Sandra Bullock's like, you know, feeling very, very sad. Keanu consoles her and says, but you're, you're happy she was alive, that you're alive and you're glad you're alive. And then it's Harry... Uh, Jack, there's a gap in the freeway. It's about 50 feet. Fucking hell. Okay, well, forget about the lady who's just been dragged under the bus. So the film just constantly just, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And it's a magician's trick in a way, because I'm not worried about anything that's gone before it, because I'm thinking about the next thing that's coming. But they do kill Harry. There is like, you know, that that is a, it's a bit of a shock and it's a bit, whoa, one of the main characters. And we do feel Harry's lost because we know what that means as well for, for Jack. It's a great shot on him when he realises he's been done, isn't it? Oh, it's great. Yeah. Well, and Patrick, the other bit as well, is a little bit of, you know me, love a bit of setup and payoff. Harry, Harry says about guts and it's the one time he's like, I'm going to put myself in harm's way because I want to catch this guy. Yeah, he, he does what, um, what Jack, you know, he becomes... Jack that we thought of the beginning of the film a bit reckless and a bit like gung-ho it's always nice to see Jeff Daniels I'm all, I'm a big fan of him I love arachnophobia and I'm re-watching the newsroom at the moment and to see him in this kind of alongside the kind of stuff he was doing in the newsroom is really interesting his drunk acting and stoned acting I've noticed are outstanding well this is the same year uh, as Dumb and Dumber yeah <laughs> fantastic yeah, it's it? unbelievable yeah. he's a dumb and dumber and he does this and amazing he, you know he's a proper actor and real range i think the producers went on to do steve jobs as, as well at this film i don't know whether you've seen steve jobs but i love him in that 
And I love him in The Martian. I just think Daniels, I can't think of anything I didn't like him in. I'm calling him Harry Temple, but let's, let's be honest. He's Harry Dunn. Um, <laughs> hi, Harry Dunn. Um, you know, he's, he's just, I cannot believe that in the same year he's like, it's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. I mean, he's one of my favorite lines. I don't think we'll ever do Dumb and Dumber because I'll literally just recite it's the whole too script. Funny, quote, it's too funny. There. But my favorite line is when, uh, when he comes home and it's like, uh, penis head's fallen off, but it's like, <laughs> Yeah, he's pretty old. It's just, just that delivery. Just, it's so funny. I don't know, Lloyd. The French are assholes. Yeah. <laughs> but to, to see him in the same year, so he, cause speed was brought forward. So that means he did Dumb and Dumber first and then mm. did this. That right. is mental. To, to me, that, that's what, you know, that's Krusty the Clown. Look at his range. That's mental. <laughs> <laughs> The other weird thing there about the film being brought forward was it kind of eerily lined up with the OJ chase, which happened a week after it launched, which probably kept the film, you know, more popular in cinemas because it it tapped into some kind of weird synchronicity with highway chases or something. People were watching that on TV and uh, I thought maybe had something to do with some of the success of the, of the theatrical run of it. Can we talk about how um, Jack gets onto the bus? Because we're gonna we're gonna bypass favorite scenes because I'm about to give mine right now. That entire section mm. when he's chasing down the bus, partly because I'm like, Keanu, if you hadn't a pulled up or you could run quicker because you weren't wearing those silly boots and a big big ass nineties jacket, <laughs> he's so so many layers on it initially. Um, that bit where he commandeers the vehicle and it's the guy from Showgirls, right? So yeah. clearly, yeah. Who, the tune man. Do we think Debont like I need somebody who is gonna make a big splash? In about, he's got three minutes to make a big impression mm. and be super funny and super charismatic. And forgive me, I forgot, I don't know the actor's name, but he steals, he steals the movie for like three minutes. It's so much fun. Take the phone. It's a great bit of, again, like tiny little bit of setup and payoff when Jack is like careening through traffic trying to catch up with the bus. Tune Man is one of the guys that he passes. Yeah. Glenn Plummer is the Tune Man. Uh, we've talked about, um, uh, african-american comic relief and this is an example of it done incredibly well it doesn't really matter that he's african-american necessarily but he's a funny character and it's a great way to to get jack to that next step i gotta get on that bus you gotta get him yeah yeah you get on the bus drive straight stay in this lane Watch the road. Oh, wait a minute what are you doing are you insured? Yeah, why? No, no! Ah! Broke my, my door. Sir, I need to take your phone. Take the phone. Say what the stunts though on the, when he's getting to the, to the bus first, um, there's a bit when he, are you insured? Uh, and then he p- pumps the brakes. He almost goes into a car. Like this alongside the bus. It's an insane stunt that. It's a bit of a mistimed stunt, but that's one of my favorites. It's, it's a little bit clumsy and it looks very real. That whole sequence when they're in the vehicle, because at that point, the, you know, the passengers don't know what's going on. We know exactly what's going on and we're like, he's so bloody close to stopping it going over 50. I think that piece of paper, the bomb on bus is really simplistic and it's, you know, very fortunate the way it lands against the glass. But if you think in terms of visual storytelling, you turn the sound off. Yeah, that's it. 
Yeah. And mm. you, you, that's all you need, that single shot. So if, if there are any, you know, two digit IQs in the audience, they're, <laughs> they're still going to be able to follow <laughs> what's going on. Or even if you catch it a bit late and you just turn it, you're flicking over yeah. the channels yeah. and you just catch that shot, you're in and, and that's, that's it. It's the McTernan way. Yeah. Visual mm. filmmaking. I love the editing. I love the way that everything is shot up to this point in the movie. And actually it goes throughout the whole film. One of the things that DeBont does is he fall every single action he captures. So when at the beginning of the elevator, when Keanu and Jeff Daniels are jumping on, climbing onto a chair to then get into a panel, DeBont follows their feet, moves the camera, mm. everything is constantly moving. And one of the questions I had for you all was, is this, is speed the last great classically shot American action movie? When we think about what is going to come in 12 months time, we've got Bayhem is about to establish itself. So mm. you've got frenetic editing, frenetic energy. Um, but you've also got the, uh, the emerge, like, We've seen it with Jurassic Park, but all of a sudden films are starting to, and actually DeBont does it in his next movie, which is Twister, which is the special, well, the visual effects, the CGI become the star Mm. and those practical effects start to dwindle. To me, this feels like everyone who's involved in speed is at the top of the game, but you know, a bit like, um, Jeff Goldblum says they're soon to be extinct in a way because, you know, by the time we get to the end of the, the decade, we're at the Matrix, and we are in a completely different uh, sandbox. You've got what, like the volcano, Dante's Peak one, two, but really they're more disaster action movies, um, and that that kind of takes mm-hmm. over. Really, you don't get anything as contained and as small scale, small scale, relatively small scale. Yeah, it's it's more the rock goes bigger, states, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it's. Yeah, you have to start destroying. But it is whole CG things. based. I mean, think of uh, like Bad Boys Two. The, there's a car chase in Bad Boys Two. You've seen Bad Boys Two. Siege. <laughs> I, I've tried to watch it three times. I've fallen asleep. <laughs> but the, the, the I love the, the original Bad Boys, which feels like a continuation of Speed. But once you get to something like Bad Boys Two, if, if Speed was made a, around that time, you'd have all the CG on the freeway and the cameras whizzing around in impossible yeah. um, locations. Have you seen The Island? There is a freeway right. sequence yeah. on that, which is the big set piece in, in that movie. And it's just so, mm. it, it's, you know, we're only a few years removed from speed. And I just feel like the, the, the tangibility and the practicality of all the stunt work and the model work and, and the way that everything's shot in camera. We've got actors. Rear projector on this as well. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. these kind of like classic techniques, you know, we, they're all starting to get either phased out or audiences are seeing bigger and better, you know, Independence Day for whatever it's, you know, for whatever it's worth, the spectacle of that, the grandeur of it could not have been achieved yeah. solely practically, but it's like the last time we see models getting blown up mm. and it's, you know, we're on the cusp right. of this new generation of action movies. Mm. And I wonder if that's why me and you and a few others of a certain age still say, well, speed is in the top 10. I mean, the, the quality of the, the, the miniatures at the end, I mean, when I was rewatching it, I, I said, no idea. My, my brain must have just switched off to how they accomplished mm-hmm. that. But that's all miniature photography. The, when, when it, it jumps, the subway jump. Yeah. And comes off the track. I think this, and it's the sound terrific. design it on it is, is fantastic. And, and it's a real contrast to what happens at the end of Event Horizon, which is stupid as fuck. That there's a real, there's a real heft to, uh, when the, um, when the little miniature car is kind of smashing through those, um, there's like planks elevated uh, and, it's, and it's hitting one after another. 
and they put such heft into the sound design that it really does feel completely destructive and also a fantastic job of cutting then to a full size prop which comes bursting out of the industry the, the chinese theater it's stuff. the yeah. it's the the montage idea of like it's it's tricking your eye and your brain by by switching between the two but even the bus jump um to jump the gap is like a yes it is ludicrous and would never work but from the technical specs that we're talking here at the minute, Devlin and I love a matte painting. And there was matte paintings done to achieve that, to paint out the gap when the physical bus is doing its stunt jump. And mm. oh, that process is amazing to add the shadows and to add like texture of a cutout section of freeway. I think it look, it looks completely seamless for me. Um, just like the miniature subway train uh, comes out at the end, which I've got on at the moment where it's intercut. But it's um, it's a very, you know, talking of Yanderbont being trained in all fields, it's a very accomplished uh, uh, special effects, visual effects kind of film. Well, you imagine, Patrick, now if we did that bus jump, the bus would be digital. So then you wouldn't get, because clearly your eye... Your, there is a bit of un- uncanny valley. You know that the bus has had to have hit a ramp and we've not yeah. seen a ramp, hmm. despite there possibly, as Jack says, there might be an incline. It's the freeway. Um, but the the shot of the bus where it really does go at an angle that is impossible as you watch the sequence, that would obviously be corrected digitally. But there's a part of me that's like, mm. the sequence still works because of the build-up. The music starts to go <laughs> a bit somber because they're like, because they're all of a sudden, we're concerned. The movie's concerned. All the people on the bus are making like their own peace prayers. Alan Rook, yeah. Ham Neal Award immediately, doing his best work. Um, just <laughs> Keenan and Cal Lady. Keenan yeah. and Cal Lady. Uh, we'll Stuck talk about... Motion. Well, well, she's already dead at this point, Patrick, but oh, yeah. I, yeah, oh, yeah. we, we left her on the freeway. But the, but the fact that you thought that she was on there just tells you that the film is like, don't worry about, don't worry about Sparkle Motion Lady. She's dead. You know who, uh, <laughs> who is still on the bus is, uh, Cat's Eye Glasses Lady. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 50s librarian. Yeah, yeah. And when they say that there's a, a section missing on the highway, she squeaks <laughs> the words, what do you mean? <laughs> A galley, I don't know if you can pull this audio or not. I can't do an impression of it. It is physically impossible. She sounds like a, a, a just a cartoon mouse having having a freak out. There's a gap in the freeway. What? What? How big is a gap? Fifty feet. I will say this because I've been waxing lyrical. There is on the right hand, the hard right turn. There is a bit where I just wish they did another bit of ADR instead of looping the same audio track. Annie says, um, here we go, here we go, and they play it twice. And every time I've watched <laughs> the movie, it. every time I watch it, I go, why didn't you just either give get Sandra to do another bit of ADR or... Don't loop it. It's like, it's like, it's almost like a mistake. It is a mistake. To me, it's a mistake, but I know that they probably just thought, well, we need a bit of audio over the turn to make it feel more dramatic. And they, it's like they blew their load early. The, I didn't notice. Let's not get into cinema sins tearing it apart, but there, there's, there's another moment where it, you, you talked about where it jumps. That was actually a mistake. The, the trajectory wasn't supposed to be that. That's that the incline. It's quite acute, isn't it? Like big. there's no way the bus, yeah. the way the bus lands, is the way that the bus took the off. The stunt wasn't planned that way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it just happened. It was a, it was a kind of a freak of nature thing. They said they had the bus driver in this rig so he wouldn't break his back when he landed. <laughs> and one of the only injuries on the film 
he was suspended in midair to take the uh, take the absorption take the yeah, 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 and yeah. landed. Yeah, but he did bite his tongue when he landed, Ooh. and he almost severed his uh, his tongue. And, and uh, Keanu said that was one of the only injuries on the entire film. I remember I when, I was, them, when we were younger. Yeah. I remember uh, trying to. <laughs> having the argument about the bus jumping and saying no it didn't work and i was trying to reason it out that like the gust of wind caught it at the right time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Just flew. yeah it was the prayers it was uh keenan and cal lady's prayers that that, that lifted them. <laughs> the, uh, when, i love um sandra bullock's like here we go here we go kind of thing just to me felt like um uh, it's tailor-made for this to be a Universal Studios ride. And I think that's why it works so well for an audience <laughs> because you can yeah. basically picture yourself. There's, there's, you know, the, the people sitting on a bus, you project yourself into that space and then you ha- literally have like, you know, an over, have you ever been on like the earthquake ride at Universal Studios? Mm. There's, you're on a, the twister like a, ride. you're on like a tour bus, right? And there's a, there's a woman and she's like, Oh my God, things are happening. And she explains what's going to happen to you while it's happening. She's your little guide on the way through it. And I felt like, uh, as a, like you said, Matt, for, you have to really pitch this shit to the, the widest possible audience is the, the polite way yeah. to say it. It's going to drag you along. But I think Bullock's good in this film, though. She does a great job of being quippy, plucky, but also integral. She's not just a stereotype, is she? She's not like screaming and incapable. It was originally supposed to be Halle Berry as an off-duty paramedic. That was where it started. Uh, around, it's around the era of Last Boy Scout, isn't it? So, like, she, she would. And Flintstones. Let's not forget this. Flintstones. She's lovely in that. <laughs> and then Ellen DeGenerate was the. Uh, next oh, nice one there, And that's where all the jokes and the comic relief. Well, everyone hates her now, so I can get away with it. Uh, so that's where the comic relief lines came in. So you end up with a slightly more layered character than you would have had. And by the time you get the right actress for it, who's very kind and uh, uh, empathetic, you know, uh, you, you go along with it and uh, her, her charisma and humor helps, helps the film. What she also does as well is we've got uh, a desperate bunch of, of passengers. Most of them don't really have any real lines. A few have a few lines to say and a few interactions with Jack and the bus. She some funny joke. Yeah, I know. Um, That's my favorite uh, Baldwin brother. Absolutely, we got a problem here. Um, But what (laughs) she does is she represents the bus, right? So you don't need to necessarily grab onto these people that you barely know. You cling yourself onto Annie. So when she when uh, Jack leaves the bus and she says, "You know, don't forget about us." Well, we're thinking, yeah, he's coming back. He's coming back for her. But she represents the bus and the passengers that were them. It's it's the John McClane split across two people. The uh the competency of Jack and the uh, every person put in an extraordinary situation is Annie. I, I know I said that I I was an Alicia Silverstone guy, but I think I don't think she could have played this part yeah. as well. And we've seen it, Matt, in other films that we've done. I, I remember when you know moons ago when me and Devlin did uh, Volcano. Bless Anne Hesh, not got the not quite. <laughs> the level that Sandra Bullock's operating at, no. which is a role that is pretty thankless where you're in it, but you could end up just getting lost in and amongst all the lava. Whereas in this, Sandra does not get lost in and amongst all the mayhem. We remember her as, and in a way she outshines Keanu for me in the movie because she's got more of the, I don't, I don't know why, but it's, 
she's she is she comes off the screen beggar. I, I wrote down on my notes if you're going to do a breakout role, this is how you do it. Like, this is not a breakout role, chance... is it? She did Demolition Man the year before. Yeah, but she's she's being introduced in Demolition Fine. Man. This is the role where if you're going to go, what was the first thing you saw Sandra Bullock in? It would be either while you were sleeping or Speed. I would suggest she's um, like a co-lead in this. She yeah. was firmly supporting okay. in. Also, she was weird in Demolition Man. She had to be a future. Yeah, <laughs> who loved <laughs> Lethal Weapon? <laughs> yes, no, she's she's super charming, isn't she? And uh, the her energy and, and Keanu in this really good. Uh, we said it earlier the chemistry and how they work together. They are a really good like on screen duo. But when we finish with the bus, we're not finished, right? I I feel like I remember the first time I watched it. He doesn't know it blew up. <laughs> he doesn't know the bomber. Yeah, I love that. What I like about where the bus blows up is it hits this plane and it's just an unnecessary massive explosion. Oh, why? Yeah, but why would you have the bus just blow up over there in a field? Like, if you're going to do it. <laughs> if that's a full plane, though, uh, the whole thing was for nothing. Specifically a cargo plane being towed, right? So you can get away with it. For the airline version, they still took it out, apparently. That was an edited, uh, something. Th- this is one of my uh, favorite comedy shots, though, Galleys. When the bu- when the plane and uh, boom bus blow up it cuts to the passengers of the bus so they go like <laughs> their reactions to the bomb blowing up is amazing one of them looks though, a bit like uh, your man from cliffhanger when he's gurning and looks like he's actually like laughing, laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but again what a, what a great payoff like we've had a little bit of antagonism between um gigantor or ortiz and uh and alan rook and then just that embrace when mm, he's yeah. when he's saved. That's all you need. Like that's great. That is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I only just realised that uh, once they hack into the UHF and they they make the loop, run it, <laughs> run it. <laughs> um, I guess like uh, 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 watching it a little more closely and a little less passively, you notice that because um, I always thought that the the lady with the bag, I thought maybe she put it down. But you can see very specifically that not only does she drop it, but she then looks really concerned because she knows that she's done something she shouldn't have. It's like, ah, that's great little detail. If you break it into, and you said about a, a kind of third part or fourth act, um, the set pieces, really it's three big set pieces, extended. How do you mean four? Because I, I consider it three. Well, I I think, Matt, because I think in my brain, and even yesterday when I watched it, and, and what I always remembered was that the train sequence always felt slightly underwhelming and slightly mm-hmm. tagged on. And I think it's just because in my brain, I think we're on the bus for way longer than we really are. It's, and I think the movie is also... Like, it feels like that would be the finish. I don't know how you take out Howard Payne without doing the train, but I feel like the movie ends when when they get off the bus and they save it. And there is a kind of heroic and a, a kind of catharsis to it where we all settle. And then mm. we move into a kind of fourth act. And I don't know how success, I don't know whether it fully works. Like, but I don't know why it would be four. How do you mean? What do you consider the first act? The, the yeah, elevator? It's, it's like, this is like Predator. It's like Predator. Mm. We've got the elevator, the bus, uh, and then and then the subway. the subway. I guess I say fourth because it feels tagged on. Oh, tagged I on. See. A bit like Django yeah. and Chained, who went on far too long. Right. Whereas in like Predator, it's three very different movies uh-huh. and three distinct acts. See, I don't think this is this feels tagged on. I, I don't. The, the problem I had at the end is 
that they do the same gag, like the speed yeah. up to jump the, off the tracks. And I'm like, oh, they're doing it again. And I remember even when I was younger thinking, but that, that lacked a little bit of, um, it's creativeness and it's originality, even with well, it's, its, it's own more film. impactful with the bus. So it's kind of, it under, yeah, undersells it. And I get it. He's learned his lessons and he's going this way. I like that he realizes that the ransom has gone and, you know, we have to thwart, uh, um, your man. He's gone full crazy at that point. When he, when he yeah. screams down the uh, carriage, it is like, I'm coming to get you, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think this is, the film does threaten to fall short, but again, like the bus jumping the, the gap, I think it's earned it and you don't care. We're, we're, on the trajectory to the end here, but when he runs down the subway and then he appears on the roof, how the yeah, fuck? Yeah. <laughs> He's He's how the fuck did he do that? And then it's just um, it's just a wordless scream at the yeah. end <laughs> <laughs> when he's running towards him. Like a middle-aged disabled <laughs> it's, man it's fighting a, a SWAT a SWAT officer as well, and he does yeah. quite well. Well, don't forget, I mean, he was an old officer, so he would know how to fight, but agreed, Matt, I'm yeah. just making excuses. The, the trigger thing looks very painful, though. He hits him in the face with it a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. He blindsides him with it, and then he just keeps clunking him yeah. in the head with it. So well, he, it, definitely, he blindsides all of us, because as we've uh, said, I have no idea how he managed to get onto that roof, but <laughs> but it doesn't matter. That is that is movie my magic money. when it comes down to cutting, screaming, <laughs> down he screams my money as well. Yeah. I love that bit. <laughs> I don't know how you solve like let's try and solve it you know if if we're down there with Howard and Howard thought it through because it feels like him jumping on the subway is an unplanned escape anyway and it all feels very like he's planned everything so well but that's an unplanned escape so I thought I was thinking about it how do you fix this I thought he should have I'd expect him to have a better escape plan. Maybe he owned the subway train and he planned it himself and he'd set it off into, I don't know, some dead end anyway, knowing it and, and left Jack in a, in a trap with Annie and he wasn't on the subway. They've imposed another vehicle on it. To me, the logical thing is to do it on foot, but they wanted a third vehicle to do another action thing with it. And, and I guess the other, the other, thing about that ending not just the fact that we're repeating things that we've already seen so that escalation that i was talking about doesn't quite feel um like we're we're still on that journey we're sort of flatlining is there's just there's no there's no passengers the peril really is that at that point debont's put all of his cards on you caring about annie and jack Mm. and i do and that's Mm, why i i go that's why i go with it but i do think if you had another pass I think you could probably do something more satisfying. It is lovely how they end up on the, you know, outside the Chinese theater and all that. That That's nice. But I wonder to get there, the journey they, they take to get there, whether they could find a better way. Because even Howard Payne's death feels, it's so random to have a decapitation in a movie where yeah. it's, there's been loads of bombs. The bit where they escape the bus finally together. And that, usually that's where they snog and it's the end of the film. But the, I think we remember the bus stuff because of this kind of road of trials idea, this obstacles that are put in their way. Uh, the, there's the guy, the, the Latino, Latino, uh, Latino criminal on criminal. the bus. Uh, and then Sam gets shot. And then there's a bit where she has to swerve around some kids and then where they hit all the parked the cans. Cars. Let's not forget about cans. the cans. Yeah. They're just cans. 
Uh, and then the woman tries to get off the bus to sparkle motion. Uh, then the freeway's missing. The tires get <laughs> popped. And then Jack pierces the fuel uh, with the screwdriver. So there's like all of those moments are during the bus segment. So that's what makes me remember that bit as the key meat of it and he even says what you you didn't you didn't have enough challenges or this wasn't <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah but even if that bit at that moment when she's like again bullock sells it she's like we're dragging him and i'm just like oh my god she loves him i love i love you two <laughs> together as a pair even though you barely spent any time together Well, can I talk about uh, another dynamic duo that I also love that probably get forgotten? I love Captain Mac and his stoolie. They're they're they're, they're <laughs> little Tash. <laughs> Jack, that's my boy. He's an interesting actor. Uh, like in T two, like it's a very strange performance. It's quite weighty, but it's really kind of unusual. This this one, I, I actually like more. I think, and I feel like he could have done more stuff like this. But his stoolie, his mate, I I was convinced it was Chris Cooper. And I don't know why. I guess he looks a little bit like him, but he's actually uh, uh, Dawson's dad from Varsity Blues. Um, that's where I know him from. So uh, it wasn't Chris Cooper, but yeah, that uh, that guy makes a nice kind of appearance too. Joe Morton's so assertive in this. And, just, and he also, he's the guy who does nothing but tell the other guy what to do. So it's just like, get me a fuel truck 10 minutes time. Mm. That's all he does. He is You're all fired. <laughs> Everybody's fucking fired. I love when he goes mental at the map. He's like, it's on the goddamn map. It's Let's complete. Hope, uh, when it goes to the airport, let, let, um, he can circle the runway. Let's hope it's complete this time. <laughs> yeah. Cool little, cool little line. He's a, uh, he's a stage guy. That's, that's, I guess, why he's got such kind of presence. He's a, uh, you know broadway theater legend and i've always liked um, him it's a shame he didn't like matt said we haven't seen him in a lot a lot more i was happy to see him reprised by Zack snyder despite mm. the fact that he only reprised him because he was like well you're cyborg's dad and yeah. you were in a film yeah. about cyborgs it wouldn't have been too much thinking with the casting but at least he was in a movie recently because yeah. he's just kind of fallen off the plot for me oh no he's he's doing a bunch of tv stuff i get it I, I think he's doing fine. It's just not the kind of stuff that we would usually come across. Mm. Apparently, he has like a recurring role in um, Scandal for like five years, which is a huge show. So I assume he's still high profile. He's gone the old iced tea route, has he? Just yeah. get yourself clicked onto a Dick Wolf show. You'll be fine. Well, it's Scandal <laughs> technically is Shondaland. Ah, okay. He'll get, he'll get his chance on Dick Wolf. I reckon he could be in Blue Blood or, oh, he's, he's or done, Jack he's or done, one of those. Uh, Oh, he's been on Jag. He's been on CSI New York. He's been on Numbers. He's been on Boston Legal. No, like ta talent will find its way into stuff. And, you know, he's, he's a, I, I, I would hire him in a second. He's great. But it, again, it just feeds into this idea of all these day players who we recognize, but they don't have a great deal to do. But it, that's, there's enough. I guess Debon understood that. And also, you know, we didn't really talk about the screen, the screenwriting process for this one. But um, should we should we hop on to the art versus the artist 
Bus, uh, Joss Whedon, uh, did a lot of the um, dialogue for the movie. And it is punchy. It is memorable. There are loads of quotable lines in this. Um, so, you know, you've got to give him credit. It's a shame that, you know, it's Joss Whedon now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, some of those changes, because I think originally Harry Dunn was going to be the villain. Yeah, I never understood how that would have worked. Well, the, the, so Howard Payne would have been his second and and how uh, Harry Dunn was in on it. You can even tease a bit of a switch for um, uh, when Annie has to pick up the ransom. Yeah, could potentially tease a little switch there when you know she's got the the lighting behind her and she's kind of uh, cast in shadow and stuff. So and it's all in their expression, though, isn't it? And, and Keanu's uh, and Keanu's kind of oh god, like you know, you could have switched that. It would have uh, it would have completely deflated the end of the film. You would have wrong footed people for no good reason, but. It's not going to be as endlessly rewatchable if there's a gotcha moment, whereas this one is. You are you, you start on the ride, you end at the ride. Um, the structure of it really works for that. That there is obviously stuff that's completely nonsensical. I, without wanting to dip too far into the territory, the only thing that really does kind of possibly make that fourth act or the tag on third act kind of a bit ridiculous is that it is just Keanu in a street filled with SWAT team, just Keanu ends up in the uh, subway on his own. Mm, they I mean, they don't follow him down the hall. Yeah, you okay. could argue that he runs faster than them, but they are having a whole big conversation directly underneath the hole for a very long time and everyone saw him go in. Is it not smart enough to outsmart us or is it never trying to outsmart us? From the moment that car flies uh, <laughs> and axles break, but the car is fine we're we're expected that to have a, yeah. a really fun ride like one of the other things that the film doesn't do we're not going to get into the into politics about ransoms and terrorists it's just about money so we don't need to worry about all the icky stuff and and that's the conversation that annie has with jack right so what is it oh it's just a guy who wants some money and oh, she even says, did we blow up the guy's country or something? Mm. Nah, just yeah. a guy who wants mm. some money. Yeah. That is it. We don't need to, to sort of trouble ourselves in the, the real world implications of whether this, what this, what would happen if this were to be the case. If the cans is the example, if the film wanted to go there, it would have been filled with two babies. It was. <laughs> it was two, it was a bunch of cans. Yeah. My precious antique cans. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way the woman's like, you bitch! Obviously caught an eye that it was Sandra driving the bus as well. It's very clever because she's with another woman who is clearly homeless and sort of gives her a peck on the cheek. And that that registers to us quickly. She looks like she's perhaps not homeless and there's a baby in the pram. And then immediately after we go, oh, okay, so they were mates. They're just a couple of homeless ladies who are buddies. So it's it's like the, the opening title sequence again, kind of, set up and pay off in reverse kind of clever somebody's thought it through yeah no one uh, that's what i i think surprises me is there are people that die in the movie but i de- i forget about them i forget about the poor security guard at the beginning that got stabbed in the ear mm. i forget about sparkle motion sam only got shot he'll live you know it's a flesh wound mm. uh you know th- there's lots of people that do die but I seem, I seamlessly just forget about them um, mm. because I'm enjoying the ride. So I think it's not trying to outsmart us. It is saying this movie is going to be a thrill ride. Hop aboard. 
you're going to have fun. I don't think it's trying to be like high art. Yeah. Hence why no character gets any more depth than is absolutely necessary. Well, this bus has been rattling along at 50 miles an hour. How about we take a turn in a, into the critic's corner, Matthew? Well, it's four stars from Roger. Oh, uh, He informs us it was rushed into cinemas to take advantage of the great word of mouth that it was getting. It was slated to be released later that summer. Um, people were calling Reeves a major new action star. Uh, he called it a terrific thriller that hit a public nerve. He observed that in one of the airport movies, a plane couldn't drop below a certain altitude or it would explode. And he felt like this was kind of a cannibalistic steal from that, mm. which I had no, no knowledge of. But there's an interesting reference as well as Runaway Train. Um, he liked that the film didn't stop to explore the relationship between Keanu and Bullock. Uh, although he says Bullock, which was quite interesting. Bullock? Um, he said the, the Bullock, like a buttock, you know, like Americans say that. <laughs> Jesus. Um, he understood that Hopper's, like the genre expectation at the time, um, was as a thriller villain. And uh, therefore the film didn't need to take much time to establish him. Um, in his written piece, which is always much better, he he um, he noticed that it was a, a bit like a kid cheating on his essay word count for me. Like he was spending most of his review talking about the plot and less about what he thought. But I I don't mind his writing. His writing's pretty interesting. And again, four stars here. So um, that's his top score. He, he grades out of four, right? Anyway, I think I've got a simple pop quiz for you assholes this week. Let's get the buzzers established then, please. Cans. <laughs> cans. Okay, so Matt's is cans. My buzzer is, uh, Jack, you forgot your muffin. Devlin's is the whim of a madman. I'll take it. But I, th I've, I think I've heard you all answer all these anyway, and I don't have enough time to rewrite these questions. So um, question one, how much is the ransom? Jack, you've left your muffin. It's uh, <laughs> 3.7 million. Gally, <laughs> ding, ding. Oh, no. Not for inflation. Uh, question two, what's the name of the driver who got shot? The whim of a man. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go with Devlin there, Matt. I'm sorry. Oh, oh it's Sam. Sam is correct. Boom. And question three to complete your pop quiz. What's the number on the bus? Jack, you forgot your muffin. <laughs> Gally, Gally in first there. It's 2525, which is the same speed <laughs> with which the bomb will blow up if it goes below. <laughs> Gally would like to apologize. Gally is now relocated his camera to the basement. Uh, it's like Cartman shitting at his mum on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gally wins two to nothing to one. Bing, bing, bing. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Right, we'll uh, we'll do our final thoughts then, shall we? So, Matt, I'll start with you. Uh, final thoughts on speed, and would you recommend it to our listeners? I think the pacing is great. I think it's got a no nonsense structure. Uh, this three acts of action thriller suspense. Uh, it. I did originally think that it sacrificed character development for those three clean action acts but um which are nothing more than extended set pieces really the lift the bus the subway um but you know uh, it does lack the depth of something like die hard but i'm fine with it i don't need to know any more about jack and harry or jack and annie 
or Jack and Howard Payne. Their their relationship doesn't need to be anything other than what it is. It's a, it just casts enough of a broad brushstroke to work. I think we understand the motivations as shallow as they may be. Um, to develop anything further would probably be a, a detriment to the flow of the film and the action. Um, and it's the nonstop action that is the paramount feature of, of speed. Um, I think Yanderbont has a good eye for this stuff. He knows how to craft these kinds of action thrillers, whether he's working with John McTiernan as a DOP or whether he's directing himself. I'd love to do Twister in the future. Um, I like the way all the obstacles stack up. Um, I can't imagine anyone being bored, particularly on first viewing. Uh, I think the humor's pitched just right. It's daft at times, but it hits home. To quote Keanu uh, in one of his interviews, the stunts are righteous. Uh, <laughs> this feels like, uh, as I said before, it kind of feels in the vein of Lethal Weapon and, and Die Hard. It feels like a continuation of that and the missing link to Bayhem. Um, so yeah, it's an American action classic. I think it's probably around eight. I've got it eight on my list. So, uh, yeah, as I said, though, it would go a bit higher if we took the sci-fi stuff out. Uh, action films can be hard to define. So I, I guess that's where it is. Um, it's a Hollywood must see. Um, if you've seen it before or you, it doesn't matter. It, it, it still holds up. Uh, and if it pops up on TV, I can't switch it off. Um, I watch it every few years. I always get sucked in. And it ends with a bit of Billy Idol, so <laughs> can't go Nobody wrong. talks to Billy Idol um, that way at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to Devlin. How do you, what do you think? Um, not much to add. For me, I'll, I'll try and keep it as fleet as I think this film is, even though it is a, a substantial almost two hours. Um, I think uh, it, it flies by. It does so without second we've said that it's quite light to to watch which it is it, it's um it doesn't pull itself down to um it doesn't take too much time to um uh investigate its own construction it's just um uh, it seems that by the time they got to actually creating the film they knew what they wanted it seems that perhaps the writing was a little bit torturous but I feel like it was probably worth it in the end. The scenes show every now and then, but I feel that they are comfortably plastered over by just the tremendous amount of look over here, no look over here, because now this is happening and this is happening. And um, it's kind of a perfect uh, little thrill ride. And I think um, to freight itself with any more importance than that would be, like you say, kind of unnecessary set dressing and would undercut what is so great about the thing, which is that there are probably better films. There are certainly more important films, but there are very few films that I would watch compulsively, repeatedly, whenever they turn up on television. It's like, it's comforting uh, uh, in, in the same way that it's, it's exciting. And it does feel very tangible and weighty. And like you said, Gally, it's one of the last kind of eras of this sort of tactile, physical action film. It's It's clumsy in the best possible way when it needs to be but it's extremely well put together by guys who knew what they were doing um how about you patrick i think you both hit everything i kind of feel about the film i haven't really given a favorite scene but i love the car chase and the bus to get on 
and all of that when when he first gets on the bus. That's, I think that would be mine, and I love all that section. And it's, I, I just remember I remember it being this great action film, and I'm glad to report that this week I still feel the same way about it. Uh, I think it's really entertaining, uh, kind of easy to watch. And like Devlin said, I could jump into that with 10 minutes to go and I'd watch all those 10 minutes, no problem. Um, I think part of the film's um, success is the actors and the characters. Uh, Jack and Annie are fantastic. Um, Bullock and Greaves. And something really cool about this film, and I still feel it's quite cool. I don't know whether that's Keanu Reeves and his character, um, but like the way it's shot, it's the way it's edited, it, the way the pace, it's really good filmmaking and it, yeah, feels cool to me. Um, I really like it and highly recommend because, yeah, it's great fun. Gally? Yeah, no, I'll echo the same thing. Uh, I'll leave it to Howard Payne uh, to give you uh, my review, which is do not attempt to grow a brain. If you If you want, if you start overthinking this movie, you're going to have a bad time. All right. Um, it's one of those where literally it is a brain switch off, which normally is reserved for insults. But this movie wants you to do that because the moment you start chucking over to YouTube and visiting Mr. Cinema Sin, I don't like him, by the way. Um, the moment you start doing that, the moment you start doing that, you, well, one, you, you're never going to watch a movie again. Uh, and this movie just will will suffer badly because there are lots of logical leaps in faith, you know, the bus jump, but the traffic in LA at eight o'clock. Yeah. It would be balls to wall traffic. They wouldn't get 50, but likely they get 30 miles per hour. Um, there's lots and lots of like, what you don't take um, a civilian onto a, a SWAT heist, um, you know, look at Die Hard with a vengeance for that one too. <laughs> uh, you don't, these things are just logical leaps, but it doesn't matter in the moment when I'm watching the movie, I'm I'm there for it. I'm on the ride, and um, it's testament to Yander Bon and the rest of the um, the filmmakers, including those in front and behind the camera, that all of that stuff just goes away for me. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and like you said, Patrick, happy to report that I I thought this film was great when I was a kid, and it's still great. Um, the fourth act, I think we've highlighted, or say fourth act, we can get into semantics. That final train sequence feels rushed and possibly a bit tagged on, certainly in my opinion. But in a way, how else do you end this movie without doing something like that? I don't know if just Howard Payne blowing himself up or falling foul of one of his trick bombs would be as satisfying as um, Keanu and Sandra kissing with a fire hydrant going off in the background and everyone gawking at them in front of the Chinese theatre. It's kind of perfect, really. And it's Hollywood ending. It's what you want, right? So, yep, I thoroughly enjoyed Speed. Thank you very much, um, Matthew Pinder. Uh, great choice. As you say, we've been touching upon it countlessly throughout all the action movies we've done. And now we've done it. We've, we've, we can get off the bus. So uh, the bus stops here. It's time to get off. Oh, on that note, um, if, if any of you are interested, watch the making of Speed. There is, uh, Dennis Hopper's, uh, introduction to it reminds <laughs> oh, yeah. almost touching on Pierce Brosnan's uh Prince of Thieves introduction it's it's a bit weird and stagey and yeah. there's one bit where he goes uh it's me Dennis <laughs> Harper <laughs> Hollywood 
I'm just bringing up something for this bus I here. For a bus right <laughs> I know, again, like the the playful yeah. nature of the the, 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 up the Hollywood sign up on the hills. <laughs> and at the end, he goes, "I'm blowing this town." Oh, the what, last thing on that making of the only thing that they didn't do is there's nothing quite as riveting as watching Dennis Hopper eat a sandwich. Um, they should have got him eating more sandwiches <laughs> during that making of. Um, just the way he tucks yeah. into that sandwich at like eight o'clock in the morning uh, is fantastic in the movie. Anyway. Mm. Uh, where can our listeners then team uh where can they ride the bus where can they get speed uh in the usa hbo max hbo go uh you can stream it there and in the uk and south korea uh it's available on virgin media aka the richard branson one also if you have sky actual sky not now tv you can watch it uh yeah. on sky cinema that's yeah. where i managed to catch it yesterday it was and literally that's... on tv in the linear schedules at 6 p.m yeah. what are the odds and that that's why it says on just watch uh virgin media matt because it's an interconnected thing i, I um i bought it for 349 on itunes and i'm glad to report i did this with you another film and i can't remember which one it was but it's come with extras and the making of and behind nice. the scenes featurettes and i was dead happy with that purchase happy with that and also i'm loving the fact that patrick you're you know you're like ted moore reports 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 so that's very good <laughs> little little um uh, little brass eye joke there for the listeners if uh, you're into ted moore and brass eye this was a bit of a strange one uh but just to let you know what's coming up listeners uh we have well can we say it devlin is it we kind of a it. thing that we can prime people for those that don't know who this special individual who is going to get a special rewind treatment what do you, yes. what do you tell the listeners? We can finally reveal that an episode that I have been working on, on and off for no less than one entire year will be released, uh, probably next. Uh, I've gone a bit rogue. I've hijacked the entire podcast and I've found a fantastic guest, uh, a film writer from Oklahoma City to join me for a full career retrospective of tits obsessed pervert and independent film pioneer <laughs> Russ Meyer. I have finally done it. I can now shut up about him. <laughs> so, uh, the next episode will be um, an, epi- uh, a, an enormous extended blog post and an extremely lengthy episode where we'll be discovering the 40 plus 30 something year career of, uh, of uh, a real absolute stone cold favorite filmmaker of mine. Wow. There we go, listeners. So if you don't know who Russ Meyer is and when Devlin, because you probably thought it was going to be like Russell Crowe. No, Russ Meyer. Um, if you don't know who that is, then please tune in to, to those episodes because they're going to be fantastic. So um, we're looking forward to getting those out into the ether. Um, I might come back if I haven't been cancelled already, but I'm on the, <laughs> I'm on the high road to, to the old Howard Payne here. Someone's going to take my head off soon enough. Um, also, Devlin, um, sh- you should probably tell people about the T-Mill saw that we have. You know, lots of T-shirts, lots of posters, lots of content. My God, it's a machine. It's a cottage industry that we run. Please tell the listeners. Uh, well, firstly, head to rewindmoviecast.com. That's where we stash all of our episodes, extra content, blogs, essays, paraphernalia. And uh, you'll find links there, rewindmoviecast.com. There is a tab. For shop, that'll take you to the T Mill store, devlindoesdrawing.tmill.com. There's some very nice t shirts in there, including a ton of Russ Meyer stuff, which I am going to hawk until I die. <laughs> and uh, I've also I've opened a Redbubble shop. What's that? Uh, it, all the kids are doing it. Um, it's ridiculous. 
It is a genuinely ridiculous place to be. If you want a Predator mouse pad, you can get one. <laughs> yeah. That's your call. That's your prerogative. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll tell you what that is, Devlin. That's a good leaving gift for anyone who's um, leaving the office. Exactly. I, I've not heard of... What is it? Red Bubble. Red Bubble. Redbubble.com. Uh, you can find laptop cases, t-shirts, oh, hats... <laughs> Uh, uh, I can say uh, shower curtains. I can make oh, you a shower curtain. Do you want to rewind wow. Cast shower curtain? Because I can do that. The that world has gone mad, and I have hopped fully aboard. You're like so, what's uh, his name on uh, planes, trains, and automobiles? <laughs> <laughs> we've we've lost the plot, but uh, the T Mill store for high quality T-shirts, the Redbubble shop for absolute tat. You'll love it. Yeah, eventually we're going to be like that guy that Bill Hicks ran into. Look at the dirt, dirt for sale. Imagine getting into that guy's head. <laughs> You need it for a planet. <laughs> right. Honey. Uh, also, listeners, um, if you if you enjoy what we do, or you're a first-time listener or long-time listener, please do like, share, uh, send us a review. A review on Spotify as well would be fantastic. Um, so, yes, please, if you like uh, what we do, um, pen us a, a wee review. That's all we ask. Everything else is totally uh, free of charge, except those shower curtains, which are probably extortionist, but I don't know. I haven't got one yet. Should we, should we say our goodbyes, team? You know, I, I much prefer to get the bus now. This way I can just sit, relax, all the way to work. <laughs> it's Gally from Glasgow signing out. I guess they fell behind. It's Devin in London. <laughs> you got some big, round, hairy cojones. It's Patrick in London. Hey, get your ass behind the yellow line. It's Matt. South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.